In the first nine o'clock period, I should say at nine o'clock period, we talked about some things from the Word of God that had to do with the work of elders. And we're trying to look at the work they do so we'll understand something about the responsibility. We've looked at the term elder and shepherd and bishop to try to understand something about the nature of who they are and, and also the kind of person they are to be. We saw from Acts 11 that they did have some oversight with regard to responsibility of monies that were collected. We saw from Acts chapter 15 that there was some judgment that was required and there were opinions that were given. They were in accord with the Holy Spirit, we'd say, with the Word of God. We saw from Acts chapter 20 the self-sacrificing nature the work of a shepherd or overseer does. We saw how they, they help the weak. One passage I didn't mention in that, in that nature of things is James chapter 4. He talks about those, of, those who are afflicted, those who are weak, and those who are weary. They fit the same motif we talked about in Acts chapter 20. When you think about when you're weak and when you're weary, when you are afflicted, weak, and weary, who do you want to call for? You call for those who, who represent the, the, best, the best spiritual maturity, the greatest spiritual maturity you can think of. You wouldn't call for someone that, that is suffering a, a similar thing as you are, but you call for someone to put salve, anoint, put salve on the sore, as it were, to help lift, lift you up. And who else better to do that than the, than the people who, who have some spiritual maturity about them? And so we lift each other up by doing that, and we especially would call for, for our elders to do that and to pray for us and to help us and to assist us in whatever the need would be. And that requires require self-sacrifice. Then we saw the need to how they receive reports as well. Now we turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to look beginning with you in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He gave some of the apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That last expression, pastors and teachers, are not two different ones. It's teachers who are pastors or pastors who teach. And notice what he says, the purpose of that. This word for here in the first part of verse 12 is with a view to. Why do you have these roles that are given here? With a view to doing something. With a view to equipping of saints. And the next word for is the word in order to. With a view to equipping saints in order to do the work of service or ministry. In order to the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come. So you have the purpose of the roles of these men that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, for our purposes, pastors who teach, elders who teach, shepherds who teach, bishops who teach. And the reason for that is that they may do equipping. The idea of equipping is that of training, that of instructing, that, that of, of leading along to a place of maturity himself. In fact, he will say that in verse 13, till we all come, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the three things that he said that lay side by side there. And basically what he's saying here is we have the, these men who are pastors who teach with a view to equipping saints in order to do the work of serving, in order to do the work of edifying, so that we all may be grown up in Christ. That's what he says in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him all things, he says, into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint, supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice he says, you have pastors who teach for the purpose of equipping. It's not the pastors who teach who edify, it's the pastors who teach who equip. Equip in order to serve and in order to edify. 
You think about the, how that exponentially multiplies itself. If you have pastors who teach in order to equip saints to serve, it's not just the elders, however many you have that are serving, they're equipping saints to serve. They're equipping each one of us to serve and also equipping us to edify each other, to build each other up. It's not just they build each other up and that's their sole responsibility. They do that for sure. That's a part of what they, they naturally do. But it's also equipping saints to do that. Equipping saints for you to serve, for you to build somebody up. It's not just found in a, in a select group of men, isolated in some kind of ecclesiastical order here, that they're the only ones who do this. No, saints serve. Saints edify. Why do we do that with each other? To help each other grow up. One thing we have as a, as a purpose of coming together and being part of the family of God like this is to help each other serve and to help each other be built up so we can all grow up. It's not just the elders who do that, but the pastors who teach do equipping. They do equipping, they do training, they influence, they set the example for how they do that. And so when you think of equipping somebody, that's the idea of what's taking place here. You're going to, to equip a doctor to be able to perform his, his, his task. You're going to equip an engineer. You're going to be able to, to equip a soldier to be able to sing, to, to lead worship. You're going to give them the tools that are necessary to do those kinds of things. Pastors who teach do that. That's a part of their responsibility. They equip. The second passage we want to look at is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Notice he will say, beginning in verse 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Here's something he does. Able to teach. What does that mean, able to teach? Does able to teach means he's able to stand in a pulpit like this? Is able to teach means he's, he's able to stand and teach an adult class? Is able to teach mean he's able to teach a young class? Or does able to teach mean he has an ability to communicate? And yes, he ought to know the Word of God. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, he would talk about holding fast the Word of God. He's not simply talking about here, here's a man who can stand before an audience like this and instruct an audience or stand before a class and do that. He's talking about here is an individual who has invested themselves in the Word of God and investing themselves in the Word of God. They can sit and they can share what they know with others. They can communicate the Word of God with others. They can communicate their story and their experiences with others that grow out of the Word of God. When we lived in Del Rio, there was a man by the name of Bill Burke there. Bill was the rock of that church. And we lost him November 1st, 1986 because of a boating accident. In January of that year, of 86, Bill and two other men had been appointed elders in that church for the first time in 35 years. I'd referred to that in the past. Bill was the, the thing that made it work. And when Bill passed away, it, it fell apart and did not work. Bill was willing to stand before an audience and teach. A group of about 45 to 50 people, maybe sometimes 60 in Del Rio. Bill was able to do that. He was willing to do that. And Bill was willing to teach a class, teach an adult class. He was willing to teach a high school class, whatever. He was willing to do it. And I mean no dishonor when I say this because I'm going to explain it. I mean, he was about as exciting as watching beige paint dry. He was, it, it was dry as burnt toast. Bill did not have the ability to stand before an audience like this or the ability to teach a class 
and get past the yawning. It was just dry. It was painful for him to do that. He was willing to do it. But I've seen few men better, and I can count on one hand who, one hand who they are. That when you got him across the table from somebody in a setting in a home one-on-one, there have been few men I see have seen that would excel Bill Burke. Bill was able to sit across that table when it counted with people, one-on-one, with a nut was being cracked, and help them work through that. He was able to communicate. He was able to teach. He was able to, he was versed in the Word of God. He was versed in experiences in life. Spent 35 years for the, with the Border Patrol. He knew something about life, and he was able to communicate that with people. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think Paul's talking about, okay, has the man you're asking to serve, has he stood delivered a sermon here? Has he stood on Wednesday night and delivered a talk? Has he, has he, taught, has he taught a class? Well, maybe, maybe he ought to be doing that. But that's not what he's talking about. Can he sit down and can he help communicate with people the Word of God and put that in application in their life? He's able to teach. He's able to communicate with people. That's what he's talking about here. Here is a man, and part of his work is the ability to communicate. Now, obviously, we all have different levels of that. I loved it when Sean Jeffries were here, was here. You remember that morning that Brett forgot his name? So we're out, we're out, we're out eating lunch together with Sean and Jordan that, that, after that morning. And Sean said, well, it's quite obvious. I'm not a part of this flock. Because a shepherd knows the name of his sheep and you didn't know my name. <laughs> See, Brett can't remember the name if his life depended on it. But he's able to communicate. We all have our different gifts and we do that on different levels, don't we? So it doesn't mean that all are able to communicate, on but all are able to communicate the Word of God and communicate something about life. He's able to teach. Something else in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that's significant. As you drop down to verse 4, and we're going to explain some of this. I'm just going to deal with one part of it this morning. I'm not going to deal with the naughty part this morning. I'm going to deal with the idea of one who rules well his own house. One who rules well his own house. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Before we talk, hold your finger there. Turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 42. And you look at a certain kind of rule that's here. A certain kind of rule. He said, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Here's the idea of rule. We think of the idea of boss. He said, you have the Lord, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, and they lord it over people. Now, Peter will say, not lording over the flock. They set themselves up as lords. They set themselves up as bosses. They say, jump, and you ask how high. They say, salute, and you raise your hand. That's not what he's talking about here in 1 Timothy, in, in, in 1 Timothy 3. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter, chapter 5, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
And he would talk about the relationship of, uh, in, verse, in verse 14. Therefore I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That expression, manage the house, is a compound word meaning house manager. It comes from a compound word meaning house despot. Now, we see, think of the word despot, and that's not a real complimentary word. We think of a tyrannous. But what he says here, here is a wife, and she has the responsibility, she has the authority to manage the house. It's interesting that a wife has authority in the home. Just a sidebar here. Husbands aren't autocratic bosses that tell their wives to jump, and she asks how high. Had a fellow one time ask me, well, if I ask her, if I tell her to buy a particular brand of soap, uh, of soap and she doesn't buy it, what should I do? I should use it. It's her responsibility to manage the house. That doesn't mean she has oversight of the house, but it's her responsibility to do that. He's not her boss. He doesn't tell her what to do and how to do it. And he certainly doesn't tell her how to serve the Lord. And when you find a boss like that, that's not what you're talking about here. That's not rule here. The idea of rule here is to stand before. Here is a man, and what's he able to do? He is, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. He's able to stand before his house and do what? Demonstrate he has a care for them. Notice verse 5. For a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It's a rule to care. He sets the example. His rule is found in his example. Elders don't have boss authority. Elders don't have legislative authority. Elders don't have authority to, 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 to tell people how to serve aside from the Lord. If it's the Lord or elders, you serve the Lord. Elders don't sit back and make judgments about the money, about the building, and about the carpet. And when they're done, they're done. And everybody else just lose their soul scattering like sheep without a shepherd. No. Shepherds stand before to demonstrate their care for the flock. It's not unusual when a time of crisis comes. And I'm going to pick a sore point here. I realize that. When a crisis comes like COVID, that people want the elders to tell them what to do. Whether to get a vaccine or whether to wear a mask or whether to jump or whether to bow, whatever it is, they want elders to tell them what elders don't have that legislative authority. That's why your elders never told you, gave you a demand that said, you have to do this. We appealed to you from the standpoint of influence, from the standpoint of putting others first. We tried to stand before you and set the example in some things of doing things for one another. But we didn't decree because we had no authority to decree that. That's something you had to decide. Elders couldn't tell you what to do. Elders don't legislate to churches what law is. Elders stand before and lead by going far before them. And their rule is found in their example. And how they care for their family. And therefore how they care for the flock. I think that's an important distinction for us to make. Elders rule by their example and standing before the flock. Far too many times, brethren reduce elders to the lowest common denominator, and the lowest common denominator is, you tell us what to believe, you tell us where to go and when to be there. There's something greater in mind than, to, than who the preacher is and how many, who we have for gospel meetings here. 
There's something greater than that. And then staying in 1 Timothy, turn to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5. And begin in verse 17. That elders will well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and deed. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So, <clears throat> probably those who are sitting rebuking the presence of all, that the rest may fear. First of all, he talks about here are elders who rule well, should be counted worthy of double honor. I'll look at that in just a moment. That word honor, in just a moment. Chase some things down. Turn to Matthew chapter, hold your finger there, a marker. Put, turn to Matthew chapter 15. I want you to see what's involved when we talk about double honor. Double honor doesn't mean go up to one of the elders and say, thank you, thank you. That, that, that's not what he's saying. That's not double honor. But look at Matthew chapter 15. And look how the Lord used this in verses 4 and 5. He said, for God commanded saying, honor your father and mother. He who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, who says to his father and mother, whatever profit might receive from God is a gift. Then he need not honor his mother and father. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. What's taking place? Here are people who say, I can't, I can't give to my mom and dad because I'm giving in the treasury. And he said, no. Don't worry about giving in the treasury. You take care of your mom and dad. And what did it involve? It involved something called a gift, but it involved honoring them by providing for what their needs are. It provided something that had to do with money for them. And what he says is, don't, don't come to me telling me you can't take care of your parents and their needs because you're putting all the money in the plate. I'm telling you, stop putting money in the plate and take care of your parents. I know that sounds strange to come from someone whose lifestyle, li li uh, livelihood depends on people's contributions. What he says, more important is this. More important than you putting in the plate is how you care for your parents, how you honor them with what? Providing for what their needs are. He didn't say, go to your dad, mom and dad and say, thank you, thank you. The honor there was in providing for what their needs were. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verses 9 through 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your mouth in your, in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Notice the word worthy? That's the same thing that was said in 1 Timothy 3. Don't muzzle. The mouth of the ox who treads out the corn. He, why? He's worthy of his food. The labor's worthy of his food. Here, it doesn't have to do with what you say. It has to do with what's provided. Here there is the need for his life or for his needs are provided. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. Actually, in verse 9, you have the same statement we read in 1 Timothy 5. For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God's concerned about? Or does it say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt it is written that he who plows should plow in hope, 
He who threshes should be a partaker of his hope. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about his right as an evangelist to receive support as an evangelist and to live by that support. He begins by quoting the very statement that is said in 1 Timothy 5. You shall muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. And then he talks about how you have the man who farms. He partakes of the produce of the farm. It provides for his needs. And then you come to verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel. He takes an Old Testament passage and now says, applying it to a gospel preacher and evangelist, it says, even so, here's a man who preaches the gospel, has a right to live by the gospel and applies it. Don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. So what's he talking about when he talks about honor? He's talking about providing a need that is there. But notice he uses the word double. Let's look at that in just a moment. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And look at verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. What does it mean, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me? Two times as much? No. He's saying, let a generous amount of your spirit be upon me. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I just want you to see how this term is used in other places. Isaiah chapter 40, look at verses 1 through 2. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. I'm sorry, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double for all her sins? No, she received a generous amount. So we turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5 now. And you put that with what we've learned. First of all, the idea of honor has to do with providing for what the need is. And that may have to do with support, as we've seen. It may, here is the man that is laboring in the word, he talks about, labors in the word and doctrine. Here's a pastor who teaches, he labors in the word and doctrine. And he said, don't muzzle the mouth that treads, the uh, mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. You honor him, that is, you provide for his needs. But not only that. Double honor. You generously provide for his needs. That's the point that he's making. Here's a man who is going to dedicate his life to being a shepherd, an overseer, an elder of God's people. And he's a man that labors in the word in doing so. We're not talking about an evangelist here. We're talking about a pastor who teaches. He said, here's a man that has dedicated his life to that. And you provide generously for his needs. You help support that man, and you do so in a generous way. Why? Because you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn, the labor's worthy of his hire. Just a thought. Just a thought. 
What this church reached the ability and, and the disposition to say we have X number of shepherds in this church. And this church is going to financially provide for all their needs. So what they can do is they can give themselves to laboring and teaching in the word. And this is their full responsibility. This church is going to provide generously for their needs. We have some that are retired. We have some that are still working. But can you imagine? Can you imagine the shepherding that would come unfettered? When you have men who the church is generously providing for their needs, they've taken them in to help support them in doing so, and now they give themselves to that in a full-time way. What what would that do for, for us if we did that? Just think about it. We have the authority. To have men who we're looking at to be fully support in a generous way to labor and teach. Think of the shepherding that would take place. Think of the oversight. Think of the quality of their maturity being demonstrated in doing that. The idea of double honor is you provide generously for what the needs of the man are. That's going to labor and teach. I know of a few, not evangelists, who serve as elders. I know just a few men who labor in this way and the church provides for them. But I've often wondered for a long time, why haven't we sought to do this for these men? And have these men be be generously provided by the flock that they, they watch? Something significant, I think, to think about. And the last passage we'll think about this morning is Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Well, it doesn't mention the word elder. It mentions the concept of overseeing. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then verse 24, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those who Italy greet you. This word rule is a different word than what we talked about in 1 Timothy 3. This word rule is guide. They lead and they guide you. He says, obey those who lead and guide you. And be submissive for they watch for your souls. Here they're going to stand, they're not only going to stand before, but they're going to lead, they're going to guide. Here those who lead and guide you, and you what? You be submissive to them and, and don't make it miserable. That is, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Here you find, what do overseers do? They lead, they guide. Again, as I've stated before, they're not cattlemen who drive. You know, sometimes you have a feedlot with cattle, and there's a little apparatus there called a hot shot. It's an electric probe generated by a battery. It has little, two little probes on the end. And when, when the calf or livestock gets stalled, they come up and they goose them with it. And it gives an electric shock and they keep going. He's not saying, here, goose the brethren. He's saying, you lead them. That's what a shepherd does. And you guide them.
for your thought this morning as we go further in considering this. Next week, next week we're going to look at a couple more passages, a few more passages, and then we're going to move to looking and breaking down the attributes that are given in 1 Timothy 3 in Titus chapter 1. We've not talked about things that are salvific this morning, have to do with our salvation. But perhaps you know where you're at with God, and you know that you need, you're lost, you need to have your sins washed away, be baptized for the mission of them. You know the state of your soul before God, and you want this morning, this, this hour, this moment, to respond. Then we offer you that opportunity while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.